Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. So we're so glad to have you, and if you have any questions about our church, we're always outside afterwards at the Newcomer Center or hanging out, sharing stories, so we'd love to get to know you. But thanks for coming and joining us here today. We do have a Q&A, which is kind of unique at the end of the message. You may have a question about the church or about the message, and Ben and I will try to answer those, and you could even stump the pastor. You know, that happens all the time. So, but uh, it's just a fun way to dialogue and get to know each other and really talk about the things that are in our heart. We're in a series called Simplicity, and it's, it's this powerful uh, way of life that Jesus came to bring us that really is so critical, in my mind, to Orange County, L.A. County, the United States, where we live today, because simplicity is really the secret of life. And that's why you came here, right? You came here this morning because you want to know about the secret of life. And uh, I want to tell you what the secret of life is. Uh, It comes from a a wonderful uh, movie called City Slickers. Yeah, I'm dating myself. This guy, you know, in the 80s, guys like me had midlife crises, and so they made this movie called City Slickers about these city guys that went out to a dude ranch to try to find themselves, you know, because they're going through a crisis. What's life all about? And they meet this old cuss cowboy named Curly. And Curly says, you, you young guys come out here every year and try to find yourself. What you need is this. Remember this? This is the secret of life right here. Does anybody know what that is? This is the secret of life. One thing. There is an old guy. That's old Gene. Cowboy Gene. <laughs> Cowboy Gene knows the secret of life. Way to go, Gene. He's heard this sermon like 25 times. He's been with me for a long time, so he knows the answer to all this. It's like a cult thing with Gene. <laughs> um, but so he knows the secret of life. The secret of life is one thing. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 25 through 33, your smartphone Bible, paper Bible. But Jesus said it this way, the secret of life is one thing. Seek ye first the kingdom. Say that with me. Seek ye first the kingdom. That's the secret of life. Matthew 6, 33. That's the one thing I want you to take away today. The secret of life in Orange County is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. The secret of life is a well-ordered heart. Seek ye first the kingdom. The secret of life is a well-ordered heart around eternal things, God and his kingdom. We don't know the secret of life in Orange County. We're chasing after it, right? But we don't have well-ordered hearts. We have divided hearts. How do we know we have divided hearts? Because we have a divided culture. We are so divided politically, right? We're so at such opposite ends of the spectrum. We're divided racially. We're divided economically. We're divided around mass and non-mass vaccine. We are so divided because we have divided hearts. And we've been told by our culture the secret of life is one thing. It's whatever you want. Your will, your way, your time. And so everybody's chasing after their will, their way, their time. And it's a huge mess. 
It's a huge mess. And there's anxiety and fear and everybody's so cranky and angry and it's just frustrating, isn't it? Is anybody frustrated? My gosh. And Jesus, with this simple truth in the life that he lived, he lived a simple life. Last week, Pastor Ben gave a great message on how Jesus lived simplicity of his life. Right? He gives this truth to the people that he wants to bring into the kingdom of God through his own life, right? And he says the secret of life is one thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be ordered in its proper place. This is what we need because we are so inundated with the great lie of our consumer culture, the great lie that confronts us every day in Orange County. When we get out of bed, pick up the phone, try to check the news, get a banner, we turn on the TV, watch a football game. By the way, go Bolts, huh? Great game last night, huh? Chargers, yeah, Charger Nation. I love football. But then you get a commercial, and what's that commercial tell you? The commercial says, hey, dude, you're just not enough. You gotta have this car right here, because the old shabby car that you're driving out there in the street, that's not enough. And then we turn on the, 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 our, our computer screen and we get an ad that pops in and says, no, that, you're not enough. Those clothes that you're wearing to work, those, old sh- those aren't enough. You're not enough. Your clothes are not enough. Your car is not enough. Those kids that you're trying to, scruffy kids, they're not enough. They need more education. They need more sports. You're just not enough. And so the culture tells us every day we're not enough. So you need to purchase more. You need to buy more. You need to consume more. You need to work harder. You need to go more, 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 more. And so what happens to our heart? It's not well-ordered. It's divided. You're not enough because you got the wrong political position. It's divided. Our hearts are divided. Our hearts are pulled in so many directions. Our hearts are running after the things of this world that can never supply what we truly need. This lie goes all the way back to the beginning of history. The lie of you are not enough was at the creation of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, after God has created this well-ordered place, beauty, color, fragrance, day and night, All the animals, the height of his creation was you and I, and we were enough. We're the height of the creation, image bearers in God's image. In this garden of a thousand yeses, yes, 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 there's only one no. And the serpent, the enemy of our soul, right? The Satan tempts us with his lie through the culture every day. No, you're not enough. You're not enough on your own. You need a little bit more. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Satan says, God's not enough. You're not going to die. He's holding out on you. He's a liar. You can't trust in his goodness and his grace. You can't trust God. He's not enough for you. You've got to have a little bit more of what Orange County has to offer to be enough. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're not enough as a human being image bearer. You have to be God. You have to become God. 
And here, let me help you. Just get a little bit more money and then you'll be like God. Or get a little bit more clothing and more, bigger bank account and a better job and get the right kind of spouse and get the right kind of children. And then you'll be enough and people will affirm you and people will love you and you'll be accepted. Do you see that lie? How that divides our heart, how that divides our relationships, how that divides our nation every day. It's at the center of creation. The lie that we bought when we thought we could be enough on our own without God, right? And look at the mess that we're in because of that lie. And the truth of simplicity is that God came to confront that lie and came us to bring, bring us back into enough in Him. God became a person. He walked in this world. He faced the lies of this culture. He faced the lies of Satan. He faced sin and death, which was the result of our decision. And he brought us back into relationship with God, and we are enough in Christ. Simplicity says this, I am enough in Christ. Say that, say that. I am enough in Christ. That's simplicity. I am enough in God. I am enough in Christ. He has made me enough. He has done everything that I need. That's what the book of Ephesians shouts. The gospel tells us that we are enough in Christ. Here's what Paul said. He's praising God because we're enough in Christ. We don't have to live with this lie. We don't have to let it oppress us, divide our hearts, divide our marriages and our relationships, destroy our nation. Boy, America needs a church that says, I'm enough in Christ, that is totally different from the world, that is full of simple peace and joy and thankfulness and love. That's what America needs. A soul in my church that says, no, I'm not going to do the things the world does because I'm enough in Christ. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians church. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's made us enough. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why are we enough? Because he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's why you're enough in his sight. Why are we enough? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely us in the one he loves. In him, in Christ, we are enough because we have redemption. We've been bought with a price through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, that's why you're enough. Your sins have been forgiveness in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished he just lavished grace on us, his favor. You're enough because you've been lavished with grace. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And you, that's us, were also included in Christ when we heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Have you heard the gospel? That God loves you? And he wants to make you enough so he sent his only son to die for your sins and your shame and your guilt and your brokenness and to make you brand new and to rise from the dead so that you could have new life in him, that you could have the gift of eternal life, that you could be a different person. You are enough. That's the good news. And when you believe that, guess what? God does it even more. He marks you as his very own. He seals that promise with the Holy Spirit. He puts the, the very essence of God, the DNA of God in your heart and you're born again. It was a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance. That means we're guaranteed to be in eternity with God because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Are we enough in Christ? Come on, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let's, say it, let's say it again. I am enough in Christ.
In Christ we are enough. And Paul proclaims that great truth. And so that brings us into a simpler life. Because if we have simplicity of the heart, if if our heart is well-ordered around God, it issues into a simpler life, a life that's less full of anxiety, worry, drivenness, fear, control, right? It begins the process of, of changing us from the inside out, ordering our priorities. See, Augustine, the great theologian, said, we've got a disordered loves in our life. Our loves are disordered. We're we're out of order in our hearts, so we're out of order in our world. We love things more than people. We love our own security more than God. So our our loves are out of order. What's the order of the gospel? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And then what's the next love? Love your neighbor as yourself. The stuff comes around down here. And so the gospel begins to reorder our priorities around the simple truth of God's love for us. And so our possessions, they fall in order. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, nothing wrong with having good stuff. We all have it. It's just when that good stuff becomes God's stuff, when your money becomes God, when your power becomes God, when your house becomes God, when those things are more than God, that's called idolatry. It disorders your heart and it confuses and divides your world. It leads to bondage. What God wants to give us is freedom. Simplicity is a well-ordered heart because God becomes first. I love God, He loves me, my identity. Then I can freely love others. I don't have to control or compete. I don't have to worry and chase after the world like those people that don't know God. That's what Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. If your heart is well-ordered, if, if the kingdom of God is first, look at what happens. You have less ur- worry, anxiety, and driven fear. Therefore, I tell you, this is Matthew 6, 25-33, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, store away things in barns, and yet your father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? Right? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. <laughs> Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like these. these they're beautiful. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, uh, thrown in the fire, will... We'll, he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Oh, that's me, little faith. So do not worry, saying, what we, shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the non-believers, run after this stuff because they think that's the secret of life. Hey, we got to get more. I'm not enough. i got to get more money, more power. They just chase. Orange County every day is this rat race of chasing after all this stuff to prove that we're enough to each other, right? And competing and criticizing and cheating each other and being willing to divide our, our lives over this stuff. It's crazy. But yet, your father knows that you need them, right? But here's the secret of life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be ordered. All these things will be given to you as well. 
Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, this is simplicity of the heart. Seeking first the kingdom, and out of that comes a well-ordered and a simpler life. Uh, here's three great truths I want you to take away as we, we dis- we're disciples under Christ. We're learning how to live this out. None of us have this perfectly together. But the more we begin to order our lives around these great truths, the more freedom we're going to have with all the stuff that divides our lives. And so here's three attitudes that we want to cultivate as followers of Jesus, living under His rule and reign, learning to trust Him with our lives, ordering our hearts around what? The kingdom of God, seeking it first. The first attitude is that what we have is a gift from God. In everything that you have, think about what's in your house right now or your apartment. Think about um, what's in your bank account right now or your, your retirement account or whatever, whatever things that you have. Everything that you have, every resource has been given to you by God. Right? The air that you breathed when you got out of bed this morning, that came from God. The time that you have on this planet from now until the day that you go into the ground, that is a gift from God. The talents that you have to be able to make money, whether they're physical talents or intellectual talents or relational talents, those talents were put into you by God. Everything you have has been given to you by God. See, the Bible doesn't talk about ownership. I mean, ownership is a, is, a, is a Western world thing in, in America. We own our stuff. It's my stuff. I earned it. I own it. It's mine. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God owns your stuff. The Bible's model is not ownership. The Bible's model is stewardship. God has given you your stuff. He's given you your time. He's given you your talents. And he's given you your treasures. And He's given those to you so that you would seek His kingdom and glorify Him in the way that you used your stuff. In the way that you viewed your work. In the way that you viewed your money. The way that you viewed your house. That you would glorify Him. And so it's His stuff. It's not your stuff. I mean, at the end of life, what happens to your stuff? My grandkids love to play board games. They come over to our house. I got nine of them, so we got to keep them busy. So we play all kinds of games, Rummy Q, you know, all these games they love to play, card games, all kinds of games. But every one of those games is the same thing at the end of it. Guess what happens at the end of the game? Same thing that happens at the end of the game of life. It all goes back in the box. All the stuff that they won, it all goes back in the box. All the little, little, little chip pieces of little houses and little cars that they went around, they got, it all goes back in the box. And guess what happens to your stuff at the end of life? It all goes back in the box. There's no, there's no U-Hauls behind hearse last time I've seen. It all goes back in the box. Guess what? It's God's stuff, and you're going to give it back to Him whether you want to or not one day. He gave it to you to steward it. It's a gift. And freedom says, thank you, Father. Thank you for giving me this stuff. How can I use it for your glory? It's a gift because he loves you. He's a good father. It's a good creation. He wants to take care of you. And so it's, it's not something you have to grab onto. 
Like Finney. You know, when Finney, Finney's only two, and when it's time to go back in the box, she goes, my, mine, mine, Papa, no, mine, mine. She's not going to let go of that stuff and put it back in the box. She's going to hold on to that little car and that little, little toy. It's mine, all mine. And yet so many people in Orange County never grow up, right? It's, all, it's mine. It's, all my, it's my house. It's my car. It's my stuff. Don't touch it. Get away from it. And that's not the biblical worldview. It's, it's stewardship. It's his stuff, and he's allowing you to borrow it and use it. So enjoy it, but keep it in its proper place. Otherwise, it's going to own you and destroy your soul and divide your heart. You will be divided versus centered and simplified. Here's the second principle. God is able to care for what he's given us. If he's given you those talents, if he's given you that stuff, if he's given you the time, he's able to care for it. He's able to work with you, to partner with you in doing good in the world. And he's able to care for your stuff so you don't have to run around all anxious and worried and fear-filled that, that it's going it's to go away. If God is able to give it to you, he's able to supply what is needed. Here's what Paul said. Paul's in a prison. He's in prison in, in Rome. And, and, and in those days, you didn't eat. It wasn't a free prison system. Hey, we're going to take care of all these prisoners, make sure they got three meals a day, give them vaccines, and take care of them, right? No. If your friends didn't bring you food, you're dead. <laughs> they, threw, they threw you in an old cell. Your friends didn't come bring you clothes, you froze. If you didn't get a blanket, you're done. And Paul's preaching the gospel, right? God gives him this gospel calling, and he gets thrown in prison. God, what are you doing? And guess what? The church has started sending people to Paul. They started sending money to him. They started sending things to him, and they took care of him, right? And Paul says, I'm, I'm content. I'm well supplied because God is able to take care of me. And he says this to the Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that, that God, if he's ordered it, he's going to supply it? If he's ordered a calling in your life, if he's ordered a, a path and, and, and you're on that path, well, God's going to supply what is needed for you. But what does he ask you? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and it will be ordered in its proper way. He's able to care for what he's given you. This building here, 14 years at Watermark in this building, uh, I have no reason why Watermark exists today, guys. I can't tell you why. Is it because Bucky's a great preacher? No way. Is it because we have these great programs? No way. Is it because we got tons of people? No way. There's no, there's no other explanation why Watermark exists today. It's because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God has supplied through church splits. God has supplied through leadership struggles and failures. God has supplied through COVID and shut us down, and we're still open. And our, talk to Sherry Eklund, who runs the finances of the church, she would tell you it's a flat-out miracle. Why? Because God ordered it. He's going to supply it. That's his promise. If he can close the birds, I mean, how many birds are building commercial industrial buildings around here to supply all their stuff to make sure they're okay? You see any birds building out here? I don't see any of them doing anything but just picking up the food that's on the ground. Are the, are the lilies out here? Are they out, are they out, out searching Amazon for the best clothing deals? Oh, man, I, I got to get that Amazon deal 
to make sure I'm clothed next year, the lilies of the field. No, they don't care because they're beautiful, because God's clothed them. And Jesus says, look at the creation. If your father clothes the creation, which is here today, gone tomorrow, you're eternal. How much more is he going to care for you? Right? That's the simple heart that simply trusts in the goodness of its heavenly Father to provide. And the third principle is what we have is available for others. God gave you a lot of good stuff. It's wonderful, but it's not just for you. Yes, He gave it for your enjoyment, but He gave it so you'd share it with others. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world. Who would that be? <laughs> That's Jeff Bezos. <laughs> oh, phew, I'm okay. That's Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm okay. Well, maybe not so okay. Uh, that's uh, the guy that lives on the hill over there in the big house. That's him. But me? No, that's not me. Me? I'm, I'm, I, don't, I live in a tract place in Orange County, and I drive a Jeep, and that's not me. That's one of you rich people out there. That's the way we read this verse. Guess what? If you have a refrigerator, anybody got a refrigerator? Raise your hand if you got a refrigerator. Raise your hand if you got a car. You're the richest person in the world. You're upper 2% of the world. We're the richest people living in the richest nation in the richest county in the world. Command me, us, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant. This is Orange County. Be arrogant and put their hope in wealth. There's Orange County. I'm putting my hope in my money, in my bank account, and all my stuff. But instead, this is the simplicity of the gospel. This is simplicity of heart. Put your hope in God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll order anything, because it all comes from him who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. He's not a kill joy. He's a fill joy. He wants you to have joy and enjoy what he's given you, but he's, the greatest joy of what he's given you is he's given you more than you need so you can give it away to somebody else. That's the greatest joy, is to take what God has given you and share it with somebody else who doesn't have it. That's being rich, commanding to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age. See, when we take our stuff and we give it away, we get, pay it forward and saying eternity is now in the kingdom of God. I'm giving my stuff away because God, it's all his stuff and it's all coming back. I want to lay a foundation for eternity, the kingdom of God, and take hold of that and bring it in the now. You can bring heaven in the now when you take your stuff and you give it to the poor and the homeless and the broken and the hurting. And all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven breaks into the now. Into the hopelessness of the now. Into the purposelessness of the Into the addiction of the now. When you give, you break the chains and the kingdom of heaven comes now. Do you want the kingdom of heaven now? Do you want it now? Don't just pray for it. Don't just worship it. Take your life and give it away. And the kingdom of heaven will break in. Jesus gave his life away in the kingdom of heaven, broke into the now. It takes our life. It takes our heart. And why do we do that? Because God's already provided for us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. He's a good father. He's got our backs. And so that's simplicity. Seeking first the kingdom. And it orders our hearts around a different kind of life. And for Kathleen and I, what that's meant as rich people in Orange County, because we're rich people in Orange County, and we've lived here most of our life, we've raised our kids here, what that means is that our house is not our house, it's hospitality. 
This house that God's given us, we're going to open it up and we're going to share it with others. And so we invite the young couples to our, ch- our house regularly from our church and we feed them and we love them and we encourage them and say it's going to be okay in Orange County. It's hard to start out in Orange County. There's, no, there's difficult jobs. They don't, how can we support you? Our house is a place to give hospitality and grace to you young couples as you're starting out. And our house is a schoolhouse. Because my nine grandchildren are homeschooled. And so guess what? Kathleen's a schoolmaster. And we got our grandkids over there. And she's reading and arithmetic and writing. And this is a schoolhouse. Our house is not our house. It's a schoolhouse for our kids. And four of them are fostered off. Four of them would have been on the streets. Four of them had no hope. No hope. Because Riley and Ben said we're going to choose them and rescue them. And so we're pouring into these kids who had no hope. And our house has become a a school for hope for the next generation. Because it's not my house, it's his house. And there's a young millennial couple that was looking to get married and they didn't know where they could get married and they were struggling. And Kathleen goes, here's our house. You can get married in our house. And so our backyard gets transferred into a marriage venue. So it's it's not a house, it's a marriage venue now. Because it's God's house. What does God want to do with your house? What about your neighbors and your friends that need hospitality and grace and love and need you to invite them over and give them a meal and tell them they're loved? Because the world ain't going to tell them that. Orange County's not going to tell them that. Orange County's going to say, you're not enough. But you could open your house and say, you're not enough. Because God loves you. God's house. Wow, what could God do with all of our houses? And what about our money? Kat and I, we have money and we sold an investment piece of property lately, and guess what? A portion of that money goes right to the poor. You know, we tithe off of what God gives us. And whatever the return on that investment was over the years, we're taking that money and we're going to put it in the school in Rosarita because we're going to start a school in Rosarita in this church. We, we built a church during COVID. Do you know the kids of Mexico don't have free education? You know, in Mexico, you got to pay for education. you got to pay for your kids to go to school. So the poor kids don't go to school. So this poor place that we build a church, we're going to put a school in there. We're going to get a Christian teacher, and we're going to start educating those kids, and we're going to change the generations. That's what God wants to do with our stuff. Invest in the kingdom of God and give those people hope. And so that's how God begins to order the, the, the heart around simplicity. And the last thing is mentoring, being involved. With, with men and getting involved and helping them see this truth in their life. Young men who need to understand what it's like to have a well-ordered heart. And one of the guys that I've been able to invest in, he's such a good kid, his name's Scott. As we close our service today, I'm going to have him come up and share his story. Give Scott a hand. I love Scott's story. Um, first of all, because we're from the same state, the great state of Indiana. And for this guy to leave the basketball capital of the world and come to California, he's crazy. He's crazy to come out here. But Scott moved his family out here because, uh, not necessarily because he wanted to, but because his son had a rare eye disease. And um, the doctor that could help cure and help his son was at Chalk Hospital out here. And so he moved his family out here, and his son got the care that he needs. He's doing really, really good. And so, Scott, tell us about what's happened in your career life as God has kind of taught you this principle, seek my kingdom first uh, through this crazy COVID season. What's God done in your heart? 
Thanks, Bucky. Thank you, Watermark, for inviting me and welcoming here. Um, I shared this morning uh, one of the things my wife and I are so thankful of is not only to have a, a welcoming church, but a place that we feel like we belong. Um, and I'll start there. I, I'm, I'm not deserving to be up here. I'm no different than each and every one of you. I'm a sinner just like you guys. And uh, through this process, God has uh, changed my life. And I hope you can uh, draw on some uh, encouragement from my story, as well as draw on some encouragement to uh, trusting in God and seeking God. Um, like Bucky said, my wife and I moved out here in December of 2019. Um, if you guys remember, December 2019 was like it was uh, uh, pretty crazy uh, in terms of what we were getting ready to step in, but it was a little bit of normalcy. Uh, my wife uh, moved out here in January, and like Bucky said, we moved out here because of our son. Um, at six years old, my son was diagnosed with a rare uh, eye condition called vernal conjunctivitis. Um, and at that time, uh, my wife was just giving birth to our third child. And when we were up at the hospital, one of the doctors told us that our son was developing cataracts. Um, so obviously, as two now new parents again with two little kids as well, um, we had to uh, make some quick planning and decision thinking. And um, in that moment, within 48 hours, we were down in Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis um, telling our, uh, being told that our son needs to have surgery. Um, 48 hours later, our son went under the knife to have a pretty severe surgery, um, and uh, God will forever shape our lives from there. After the surgery, we were on our way home, and uh, I'll never forget it, and I shared the story this morning, but it's the first time I remember my son reading a billboard outside, and as we were driving home, he was reading this billboard about yogurt, and my wife and I were so excited to pull over and get him this yogurt that he had finally been able to open his eyes and see and read, and um, it was in that moment when my wife and I made the decision that it was time for us to uh, fi find a way of life that may be more suitable for our son. Uh, based upon where we lived in Indiana, caused uh, his eyes to react a lot more um, based upon the seasonal changes. And when we stepped into this moment of uh, trying to find a new alternative or a new way of life, we got connected, like Bucky said, with Chalk Hospital out here in, uh, in Orange County and um, met with a, a guy by the name of Dr. Bola, who not only introduced us to um, the severity of what our son was going through, but kind of was able to meet us where we were at in terms of how to deal with the situation and address it. Um, so going back to the story, we moved out here, um, and like all of us, we were stuck with COVID. In March of uh, 2020, I lost my job. Um, was out here for no more than three months, brought my young family out here, trying to create a new and create a new path, and uh, COVID had taken pretty much everything away from us. Um, during that time, a lot of anxiety set in, a lot of uh, how can I do this, how can I fix this, and even moments of thinking that I was the one that created COVID, or COVID was because of me and the decisions that I had made in my life, um, and, you know, wearing a lot of those burdens, and um, luckily enough, uh, through one of our, our great friends and family friends that we've grown out here, they introduced us to Watermark. And we were able to get connected in the community. And during those times, uh, Ben and Bucky had actually spoke of their service about an opportunity called LOTS. It's Love on the Streets. Um, every Saturday morning, one of the churches partners with uh, The Crossing, and they, they feed the homeless. Um, and God had just told me to show up. And I brought my entire family. And I remember being there with Bucky and Ben and the Applebee's. And it was just our families. And we had an opportunity to, um, to serve the homeless. And God just kept... Uh, putting something in my life and not understanding that God was calling me to seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. But I just continued to show up every single Saturday through the tough times that were going on in my life and the tough times that were adapting to my family. 
And at that moment, I was meeting with Ben and just kind of sharing with him the, the uncertainty of my job, the uncertainty of my future. And, um, you know, one of the things that Ben had shared with me is, you know, commit to this for six months. And, you know, if God wants to take you out of this, he'll provide an opportunity for you. Um, and, you know, I just continued to show up, continue to volunteer and help as much as I possibly could. Um, you guys didn't get to see this, but this morning, one of my uh, good friends, uh, a gentleman by the name of Lee, showed up the first time. I've invited him to church here for almost a year and a half now, and of course, today would be the day that he showed up, and he had no idea that I was coming to speak. So as I, as I step into uh, this volunteer opportunity, again, fast forward to right now, a lot of you are feeling with the same uncertainty of COVID coming back. And, you know, the uncertainty of how am I going to provide? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to, how am I going to do all these things? And this is really when I, I was met with another fork in the road. And I had reached out to Bucky. And Bucky and I had been meeting for a few months now. And, you know, just for his mentorship and his guidance for this fork in the road. Yeah, when Scott came in, he was wrestling with a question. You know, I have my heart tugged with, with the poor and the the homeless and the broken, but obviously that doesn't supply my financial needs and I've got the world over, the business world, and you know, do I just let go of that? It's taking so much of my focus, do I go on all in the business world and focus on that or what am I supposed to do? And I said, I don't have the answers, but I do have this one thing. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pray, God will guide you and he will show you. If he orders it, he will supply it. I got goosebumps as Bucky tells a story. So um, I had a few people come up and talk afterwards. This all just transpired within the last two weeks. Um, but Bucky had told me, you know, go to work. Uh, reach out to a few of the people from the church. See if there may be another opportunity for you. But if, if you feel called to this ministry, God's going to provide for you. God's going to provide an opportunity for this ministry to work. Um, and that week I had met with uh, four friends, four friends from the church, uh, a good buddy of mine. And I received the same message. Hey, your resume looks good. Your background looks fantastic. But now's the not the right time. You know, whether it's not the right time for the job, whether it's not the right time for the company. And again, the doubt and the, the honestly, the negativity sets in and the worrisomes and how am I going to be able to provide for my family? And uh, for those of you that know, during this process, we also invited our in-laws out here. So my mother and father-in-law moved in with us as well. So um, we got a full roof over our head and, you know, just the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the future. And um, I was talking to Kathleen earlier, and I, I, pull, I told myself I was going to pull up my notes. And one of my notes, I had Psalm 119, verse 35. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I will find delight. Um, and Bucky and I prayed about this, and not only did I pray about it, I told God that I wanted to give myself up for, 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 for his purpose, and no longer did I, wanna, did I run to write my own story. I wanted to kind of live the, the steps that God had called me in seeking his kingdom. Um, well, after being told by four people that it wasn't the right time, uh, I had my next volunteer opportunity with this organization called Trellis. And what Trellis does is that it connects community leaders um, and working in unison to help make it a better environment, a better community for all of us. And I shared with um, Ian Stevenson uh, just kind of my uncertainty. And first question was, how much do you need? Um, and I shared with him, and without hesitation, he said that they would cover it and that they wanted to invite me on as the director of the community impact team. Yeah. <laughs> Praise you, God. <laughs> so through volunteering uh, with this organization and being involved with uh, the homeless, um, I had an opportunity to really pour into it just from a volunteer standpoint, not even being involved in it as a, as a true worker for them. Um, and within that organization, we had our first month here in July, and I shared the numbers this morning. 
Um, we had 64 lives that were impacted through our program in the month of July. Of, of, of those people, um, more than 25 of them received more than $500 this past month through this transitional work program. And what, and what we're doing is we're connecting them to jobs, introductorial jobs, where they can transition from homelessness to potentially having the opportunity to have a, a position that can work for them and can provide some sustainability. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's not, that's not Democrat, that's not Republican, that's not money or no money. That is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and lives are going to be changed. That's what God wants from his church. Centered on him, right? So to wrap it up, and I hope you feel the encouragement for this, um, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I don't deserve to be up here. I've done nothing special. Um, but in these tough times, and it's something that I can remember, and I see a couple of my buddies from the Bible study, I, I would pray continuously that God didn't harden my heart like Pharaoh, and I wanted my heart to be softened. I wanted my heart to break. And through showing up every Saturday, I didn't realize that I was seeking God. I didn't realize that through sitting down at a table and having conversation with these people that ha have nobody to speak with, God was really shaping and involving my life and the thing is is that I've shared with this again this has just happened this week I've had so many people tell me that I'm stepping in the position that God has truly called me in and my whole life um, I've had great success in business and athletics and in school and so thankful for that but a lot of times I think those were my self creations and not stepping into the role that God was calling me to and throughout this time that I know many of you struggled as well one of the toughest times of our lives God's changed and, and, and evolved me into not only seeking him, but seeking him first and not seeking my plan first. Yeah. And um, hopefully with the story of simplicity that we're talking about, that you're able to find some encouragement from that to continue to seek God's kingdom. Um, as I walk away, I want, I'd ask for you guys to not only encourage me, but stand there with me, stand there beside me, stand there in front of me, stand there behind me, hold me accountable, but also be a part of this because this is what we're doing for our community. And I'd like for all of you to be a part of it as well. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Let's pray for Scott. Let's pray for the homeless of our community. Father, thanks so much that you care for the broken and the lowly and the, those that are suffering and addiction and mental illness, struggling in our communities, Lord. And you call us to care, to have compassion, regardless of politics, to have compassion and to go and come alongside these people and help them to find a sustainable life. Help them to know that they are enough in Christ. Thank you for putting Scott right in the middle of that. Continue to fill him with your spirit and your truth. Continue to bring good people around him so he can build a team of people that will really help make an impact in the area of homelessness in our culture. We thank you for their answers. They come from you. We seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. Order these things in the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Scott. That's so good. Thanks, Scott. Hey guys, we wanted to make good on our promise to keep the conversation going, so we're going to take about 10 minutes. You might be a little unsettled, uh, but this is the fun part, because we get to involve you in the conversation. At this church, that's our vision statement, to build a generational community that flourishes in God conversations. And so this summer, we want to be bold enough to not just have a one-way monologue, but a dialogue. And so really, it just takes the first brave person to ask the question they think is maybe not great or silly or whatever. There's a guy in front already, and, and actually, we need help. Who's going to, uh, is Gene, did I hear Gene hooting and hollering earlier? Can, he's gone? Okay. Robin, could you possibly, <laughs> I see you there. I'm sorry, Robin, I'm ju you're jumping the game. Give it for Robin, one of our kids' workers and former kids' pastor. Yes, it's right there. And if you don't want to do it uh, live in person, you can do it anonymously, watermark OC, 
facebook.com slash questions. And it's gonna come right here to my device and I can read your question anonymously. We won't even see um, who sent it. Um, and uh, just you take a second, we'll just do mostly questions. If you got a comment, that's awesome. Let's share it afterwards. But uh, I'm gonna give it to Lonzo here in a second. But if you wanna email an anonymous question, do it now or just raise your hand and we'll come to you next. Lonzo. Um, thank you, uh, Watermark family. Um, this is a comic and an, it's an encouragement. I appreciate your, uh, your heart today, Bucky, about seeking the kingdom first and all righteousness will come on to you. Um, actually, I have been doing that. I am grateful that I have the time and the opportunity that uh, I have a friend here today who's going to be joining the Watermark family. His name is Valentino. He's right back there. This is his first up, time. Can, can you guys welcome him, please? <laughs> Thanks, Lonzo. And that's what I need. That's a great story. Thank you for awesome. sharing that, brother. Welcome, Valentino. <laughs> if there's any other questions, you guys just shoot your hand up and Robin will find you. And you can jump online. You can go in the comments. If you guys are watching from home, jump in the comments on Facebook and we'd love to try and start the conversation. Again, this is, we joke and Randy joked earlier, stump a pastor. That's great if we get stumped. That's awesome. Actually, the point of this is not to prove we know it all, but to model to you guys how to have these same wrestling conversations where you live, work, and play. So if you've got that question and you're nervous or shy, don't be. Um, that's what people want is to be engaged. So you can just raise your hand up or you just fire off an email and we would love to hear what's going on in your heart and your mind. That was so cool what Scott shared. You guys just raise your hand and Robin will see you, but... Um, I love how Scott spoke about that at the end. Did you catch what Scott said? He said that he took the step first and then his heart was shaped. So I just, that's why as I was taking notes of Bucky's message, that was the biggest thing. Came, ordering my heart, ordering my heart, shaping my heart, shaping my heart. And that was really key what Scott said. He took the step first not knowing and then he was shaped and formed around <clears throat> it. Sometimes that might be true for you too. You're not sure, you're tentative, err on the side of action <laughs> and then watch what God does. Renee. Hi. I wonder if you know when the women's event's going to be rescheduled? Ah, great question. Practical question. What was it? We had a, uh, a women's event uh, canceled because of COVID-related issues, and it's a women's appetizer event. Hey, Renee, I'm just by answering, acknowledging the question, those people are listening who are going to schedule it, and we'll get it back on the books, but it's such a sweet event. And I'll, I'll just take it as an opportunity to highlight, I see so many newcomers here and guests. We love that you're here. We love seeing your faces. And particularly if you're a female variety, um, check the website, watermarkwithc.com slash events. We're going to put this event up there, Women's Appetizer Event. And it's going to be in a home. Guys can't come? No dudes. Oh, no shoot. dudes, bro. So um, really quick correction to the message on multiple levels. Uh, he was not having a middle-aged crisis in the 80s. He was a strapping young boy in the 80s. He was just getting married in the 80s. So just know that. I uh, had to correct that. So now that we're I did go through midlife crisis in the 80s, though. Come on, man. I've been through seven times. Come on, come on. <laughs> what questions do you have out there, guys? There's one over here. And then one in the back, Robin, next. So uh, Ben and Bucky, as uh, you know, part of the, the message this morning was anxiety. So as we're, as we're you know, many of us were in a, you know, a very, uh, you know, questionable time. You know, looking at, you know, what, what, what our country's going to look like, you know, our health, our jobs. And sometimes, you know, it's that three o'clock in the morning hour where anxiety hits in, in the inner voices. So what would you as two pastors uh, kind of give us guidance on, you know, trying to calm those voices of anxiety 
uh, and really where God really guides us and directs us because I you know I'm probably not the only special needs person in this room here that deals with anxiety at times but and it's not a, a, a crisis thing but it does come upon us so how would you guide us and direct us in something like that thanks Andy that's great, Andy. One of the things that I think it's always important, and you can get that sometimes from maybe my preaching or listening to the scriptures, that somehow we feel that anxiety is bad, that it's a sin, that we feel anxious. Everybody feels anxious. Worry and anxiety is a part of the human condition. So there's nothing wrong with experiencing anxiety or having these, these issues. It's what you do with them, like everything in life. You know, we have feelings whether we get confronted with information or the news and they crash into our lives, the question is, what do we do with it? Do we let anxiety drive us, right? That's, that's where the decision comes in. And the Bible says we're to take captive every thought, right? To, to understand why we're having the thoughts and what's underneath those thoughts and bring those into the obedience of Christ. So what I try to do is when I'm having those anxious feelings and I have sometimes in the middle of the night when I wake up, I try to take my worry and turn it to worship. So that's what I can do. I can acknowledge that I'm anxious. I can acknowledge I'm fearful. All the Psalms, David is processing his anxiety before the Lord. So the, the model is to process our anxiety and fear in, in the Lord's presence. And then remind ourselves, as we do that, of the truth of who he is. That's what Jesus is doing in Matthew, right? We're worried, we're anxious. Well, look at the lilies, look at the birds, look at the creation, look at how good God is. So you take your worries and you process those in the presence of God, and you begin to renew your mind with the truth of God. So you go from worry to worship, and that's what I try to do. That's beautiful. And I'd say on the, on the preventative side, Andy, um, there's a book. I just read the Cliff Notes version, but I'm going to recommend it to every person in the room, no matter who you are. Never struggle with anxiety or chronically struggle with anxiety. And it's not a Christian book, but I think there's tools here that are very, very intensely Christian. And the book is Stillness is Key. Stillness is Key is the name of the book. And, uh, and you can also go back and listen to the last two weeks, Andy or anyone else. We're really driving home inner simplicity and how uh, most of us have no idea how much under the surface uh, high-level anxiety is just foaming there. Uh, we don't know what's there until we're freaking out or we're having a panic attack. And that's because we don't practice a regular discipline of stillness or silence or solitude. And this is a quote from the book. Um, he says the aim in stillness, and by the way, he says the very first point of how to get towards stillness is to limit your inputs. I'm just going to say that one more time. <laughs> we're wondering why we're so chronically panged with anxiety, and, and yet we have more information and more chaos and more noise flooding into our system than any point in history. So much input. So much input. Think of it like your diet. There's so much stuff. When the garbage goes in, it does something to you. And so his very first answer is limit your input and you'll be energized. Then he goes on. He says, uh, the alternative to being energized or peaceful is enervated, I don't even know what that word means, anxiety, the state of incessant near burnout that's the result of forgetting the fact we need to train, recovery, rest. Those off cycles are just as important as the intense on cycles. Parallel, immediate scriptural parallel, Rest, work, Sabbath day, seventh day, rest. So God works, we work the seventh day, he rests, we rest. We were designed, this ordered heart that Buggy talked about, that's the order that has to be restored. We're gonna be continue to be plagued with anxiety as a people and as a church. So you, stillness, 
stillness, stillness, stillness. And one of the specific practical things you can do is limit the inputs. Yeah, so Sabbath was a gift that God gave us to reorder our lives around him being at the center. So Sabbath is a gift, actually. People go, oh, that's a bummer, Sabbath. Who wants to take a Sabbath? Sabbath is actually a gift yeah, <laughs> to free us from anxiety. Okay. So. Courtney, we, I think we have time for one more worship team if you want to come up. Courtney's got the baby she's juggling. She's got a burning question. She don't care. It's a family service. I feel like everybody's pretty much dealing with anxiety right now because I feel like that really answered a good portion of my question. But last week you were talking about um, prioritizing and figuring out what's essential and what isn't essential and cutting those things out. But I feel like I'm raising kids in a generation where if we're not constantly doing something for them, we're a bad parent. Huh. And um, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you know the difference between being still and being lazy? Hmm. Wow. That's a great question, Courtney. Did you catch that? <laughs> the difference between what? Being still and being lazy. And um, she used a specific illustration of uh, being a young parent. Yeah. Well, I think I, think, uh, I would just go at the heart of that. What's in the heart? Um, I think... Uh, being still is um, not being lazy at all. Being still is actually intentionally saying no to the noises that want to actually waste our time and yes to the voice of God. So being still is actually a discipline. It has nothing to do with laziness. So I think that laziness in that sense for a young mom is a lie. Mm -hmm. I think moms have so much guilt and so much beaten up so much by so many models in the world amen, for a amen. mom to cut out some time and give herself some rest is a total gift from God. So I don't see many mom, young moms that are lazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. Least not, I yeah. don't see it. And neither are you, so, Courtney. And I just yeah. want to direct you seriously. Go back to the last two messages and, and we'll elaborate on this conversation. But let me just tell you something. I'll speak this truth to you, Courtney. And every other young mom or parent or, or single person who feels like they're not enough. There you go. Let me they're tell you what that enough, is right yeah. now. That's noise. It's noise. It's static. It's garbage. Okay? It's garbage. Go back and listen to this message that this man just gave about the grace of God, that you are enough, that you're adopted, that he calls you sons and daughters. Okay? And so when you start to hear that voice, that's what you say. You just say, get that corn out of my face in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what you say. And that comes from Jack Black. And that comes from, what's the movie? Someone help me. Nacho Libre. And some of you guys never seen that movie. Never, I have no idea what it is. But there's a great scene. And it's a spiritual warfield, warfare tactic that when you get that voice and it just kind of sneaks up in your head and you know, you know it's not what God says about you, Courtney. You know it's not what God says about you. Other young moms and hard workers in the room, you know it's not God's voice. Because if it's saying you're not enough, that's your hint. It's not God's voice. It's not God's voice. You just remember Nacho Libre, man. I give this funny, funny training tool because it's funny and silly, but that's why I use it. Because next time you're in that battle and you're hearing that sneaky, devious, demonic voice creep up, that's what you're going to say. You're going to say, get that corn out of my face in Jesus' name. And you just add the Christian part to it. Get that corn out of my face in Jesus' name. Because it's a lie. 
And it's not the voice of God. It's not the voice of conviction, that Holy Spirit that we talked about. And I know I'm getting hopped up right now, but Buck is exactly right. I'm married to one of those young moms, and she's constantly hearing the voices of the culture that says, you're not enough, and you're not doing enough, and your kid's going to fail or flail or not get it right. Nope, that's the lie that we buy when we say God's not enough, and he's not on the throne, and he's not in control. That's the lie. So you are enough. And when you're not enough, what does Scripture say? That his strength is made perfect in your weakness. It means when you come to the end of yourself and you got no more, God shows up. That's when God shows up. Would you like to raise your kids or do you want God to raise your kids, Courtney? Let's have God come with us and help us raise our kids. Okay? Thank you so much for that question. I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to exit over here. Thanks, Bucky. All right. We're going to end in worship. Let's bow our heads. We have uh, four communion stations. And really, communion is a reminder that we are enough in Christ. Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you, broken for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood, which is the new covenant. And I won't drink of this cup again until we do it in the kingdom. And so as we come and we take the bread and the cup, we we go back to our seats and we have this quiet time with God. Just say, Jesus, thank you that I'm enough in you. Thank you for dying and giving your life to make me enough. I celebrate your goodness in Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.